0: Before we start this show, just a word from our sponsor. 20 by 20 Apparel. Founded in 2015, 20 by 20 Apparel brings original tributes to pro wrestling's classic arenas, moments, and events. They look to spotlight like the bloopers, bleeps, and body slams along with the biggest, smallest, strangest, and strongest that pro wrestling has had to offer. Along with their awesome line of pro wrestling apparel... They do offer many services. In the world of wrestling, there are hundreds of shirts, promotions, flyers, social media accounts, and ads. Don't get lost in the sea of parody shirts and display fonts. They can provide professional graphic design services at a reasonable price. 20 by 20 also hand screen prints all the tees in-house. If you would like to discuss possible run of tees, posters, koozies, foam fingers, or whatever... Drop them a line. Go to 20 by 20 apparel. That's the number 20 X, the number 20 apparel.com. Now, let's get to the show. is the word
1: I'm Jim Duggan, got
0: long wood for plenty hoes, I keep it fresher than fresh but you already know, you suckers bummy, I'm money, I got a ton of flows, my weed loud like a motherfucking thunder roll, your shit quiet like you ballin' on a budget though, we see your kicks and we laugh and yellin' what it goes. you see me shinin' like a suit on puffy, you know my grind and shit is too strong buddy, that's why the dude call money, I be stuntin' like it's nothing at all, cause it's nothing to me, it's probably if you can tell us in my Bitch, you feed the way I'm yes I don't don't to tell, I'm out of breath, tell somebody cut a jeopardy the way you know it's fresh the way you know it's
1: fresh
0: fresh we fresh 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 And on Fresh is the Word, we like to deliver wisdom through great stories from the minds of bright creatives of pop culture. Through those stories, we like to dissect the journey of our guests and present actionable lessons and advice for our listeners, no matter what career or avenue of artistry they pursue. In this episode's guest is DJ Newmark, a member of the hip-hop group Jurassic Five. Recently, Newmark released his new solo single, Zodiac Killa, featuring Method Man of the Wu-Tang Clan a song that came together while both are currently on the TBS celebrity rap battle series, Drop the Mic. During our chat, we talked about the making of Zodiac Killa, working on Drop the Mic, how he got into music, and the inception of Jurassic 5. But before we get into this interview with Newmark, I definitely want to give a shout-out to Knox Money, Bang Belushi, and Foulmouth for the theme music for Fresh of the Work. I also want to remind you how you can support the podcast, you can always go to freshthepodcast.com and share any links for any of the episodes on any of your social media platforms. And you can pretty much subscribe to Fresh is the Word anywhere where podcasts are streamed these days. And that includes Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Stitcher Radio, MixCloud, Google Play, TuneIn, Spotify, Breaker, CastBox, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Podbean, and Radio Public. Just type in Fresh to the Word and it should come up. And if you want to leave a rating and a review on any of those platforms, that would be great. Especially Apple Podcasts. That would definitely help out the show. And if you want to uh, hit me up, you can always uh, send any questions, comments, anything you want to send. Uh, you can email me at djkfresh at gmail.com. Or you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at kfresh is the word and on Facebook at facebook.com slash kfresh. And you can also follow Fresh is the Word on Twitter at Fresh is the Word with i-z as the is and on instagram at fresh of the word podcast and on facebook at facebook.com slash fresh is the podcast all right let's get into the interview with dj Newmark. you just released this uh new track with uh, method man uh it's called uh, zodiac killer um how did that uh collaboration come about
1: yeah um i'm on a show right now a television show with uh met the men as the host and i'm the dj it's called drop the mic and it's a, a television show where celebrities rap battle against each other it's comedy <laughs> and uh right i it, it, while i was recording with him i was two years deep into a project called zodiac tracks where i mix um important artists in their respective zodiac sign using all vinyl on my facebook um video feed and so i was at the end of the series and i was like you know it'd be nice to put all the mixes out and um give everybody who's been so kind and supported me um an exclusive track with someone dope and so i was uh, next to meth you know every day on set and so i asked him, you know to hear a track and he put the headphones on and he was like you know oh he was like i'm, I'm fucking with this new <laughs> i was like okay dope and then um we recorded and uh, we made Zoya Killer. And um, he, um, you know, I kind of told him what I was looking for. I, it's actually perfect for any Wu-Tang member because they're, they're good at like sticking to a topic and like really flushing it out. And I, I knew he would kill it. And sure enough, he knocked it out in like one take. It was, it was a crazy recording session. It was, it was like one of the most memorable recording sessions I've ever had, actually. Was, um, I kept saying to myself, if I if I did more sessions like this, I would have much more time for uh, for leisure. And just <laughs> knock it out that quick.
0: <laughs> nice. How did you uh, get um, first get linked up to be on the show, Drop the Mic?
1: Yeah, um, I did a, um, a charity event um, here in L.A. with uh, – uh, Seth Rogan through a guy named Matthew uh, Bass or Bass. I'm not sure how to pronounce his last name. I, I feel bad because I DJed his wedding. I think it's I think it's Bass not, sure. I think I think it's Bass actually. Um, anyway, <laughs> uh, they reached out to me because they saw my um, toy set, um, which is a, a, a DJ set. I do where I rig all children's toys into my yeah um, DJ setup and I play them like they're musical instruments. Right. And so they wanted me to do that set for a charity, um, called charity for hilarity, uh, which, uh, helps, uh, Alzheimer's, uh, patients. So I did that set there and, um, James Corden was in the crowd and Jensen Karp was in the crowd. Um, uh, Jensen is the producer for drop the mic and television. I'm on the television show I'm on. He's one of the producers, along with, uh, Ben Winston. Um, and he saw me in the crowd and I, I heard that, um, James Corden said, how is this guy on camera? Has he ever done to television? He'd be perfect for the new show. And so then they kind of co-called me and uh, went into the office with uh, management and talked to them. And next thing you know, I was on the show.
0: <laughs> oh, awesome. How's, how's, how has your experience been uh, doing Drop the Mic?
1: It's interesting. I've never done television before, or at least I've never done television on a consistent basis. I've, I've been asked to perform on television, like, I've done Letterman, you know, like as, you know, uh, a member of Jurassic five, like performing, but I've never been like responsible for part of the production, right. Or part of the entertainment value of a show. And, um, I didn't realize like how, how last minute everything is like, you know, everything's, everything's like, okay, that's not going to work. Let's try it like this. And it's kind of dope actually in in a way, because it it, it teaches you how to like, um, how to come to an end result, you know, means to an end, you know, at, at, at. by all means necessary. Sometimes they don't have the talent to come in. Sometimes um, we have to change a cue on uh, some of the music beds. Sometimes you know you have to change your outfit really quickly, but you're, the camera's rolling. Or hold <laughs> on, we got to change. I mean, everything's like really like I'm not used to that because I'm used to like touring and it's kind of like a set thing. And like yeah, things change, you know, on the road. But it's interesting. Like I, I it, it taught me how to be a little bit more malleable and flexible with uh, the day to day, you know, bumps and grinds. How has that experience
0: sort of worked out into your own projects?
1: Um, drop the mic, you mean? Yeah. Uh, the television show? Um, well, you know, it's we're only on season two here. We just wrapped up season two. So I don't know how, how it really is shaping my solo stuff. Uh, I've constantly been doing, you know, solo stuff on the side. Um, I think, if anything, um, it's kind of just opened my mind a little bit to different types of uh musical passages because every artist that comes out or every actor that comes out or wrestler or whoever it is has a different theme to them you know it might be a rock theme it might be you know a country theme you know so i'm just listening to those types of music and it's just kind of expanded you know my um my viewpoint on these different genres Uh, i've always been open to different genres and I, i try to incorporate as many as i can into my dj sets but this is uh, interesting to look at it from a production standpoint.
0: As someone who's been this longtime DJ, turntablist, creative, what did you feel like you brought to the table on this show? Drop the mic.
1: um Well, you know, they they wanted someone that was able to fill in sound effects and and rock the crowd at commercial break and keep the energy up and um, obviously jam with the band and, and and get the cues proper with them. Um, and so, you know, I, I'm. I'm used to that world. I, I've, I've worked with a lot of bands before in the past, and uh, I'm a drummer, so I'm, I know how to keep something kind of in the pocket and percussive without, you know, overstepping a guitar line, for instance, or um, you know, taking too much away from, you know, uh, a trumpet solo or something like that. So th- I, I kind of know where to play my part as a musician, um, and I've always, you know, I've always said like DJs are really music- musicians, and it's. Uh, the turntable is the infinite instrument. You can get any sound out of it. So it's like, um, yeah, I, I kind of uh, bring that to um, my practice with the band and my um, my performance. That dropped the mic. How's it working with Method Man on the show? It's dope. He's 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 like, in my opinion, holding the thing really upright because he's so personable first of all he, he comes to, to set every day and he like shakes everybody's hands knows everybody's name and it's like i don't know if you've been to a television set before but it's like 150 people man it's like <laughs> it's a lot of people and he knows everybody's name and he, he's just in a good mood and he keeps everything up as far as energy is concerned and basically um, i've learned a lot watching him um and just just seeing like how to treat people you know we've all met someone that that you know, we've admired or we listen to their records or watch them on television. We meet them in person and they're like, you know, dickheads. Right. And right. It's like the worst feeling. Cause it's just like hard to listen to the records after that. And I've met plenty of them as a DJ, you know? Um, and I've met plenty of other people that are at that level that are really kind to people and respectful. And it's just so nice to see that. Like I got the same feeling when I met be real for the first time. I was like, man, this guy is just down to earth. Like he's just good people. Like, <laughs> You know, and meth has that same characteristic to him, and it's it's just dope to see at his level. You know,
0: what was uh, the original idea of behind the Zodiac Tracks mixes?
1: Yeah, um, <laughs> so I wanted to do um, a birthday shout out to Gemini's because I'm a Gemini right. on one of the months, and so. I, well, before that, actually, I just did, I was doing a a biggie tribute, you know, and I was like, maybe I'll just do a biggie tribute, you know, he he meant a lot to me, whatever. So I I started and I did this biggie tribute and I was, uh, I played it back and I was like, God I'm just not feeling it. I don't, I don't know if this is, this is, there's something stiff about it. It didn't feel like me. um, I think my strong points are my transitions. You know, like some DJs you watch, they're great at scratching, and others are great at, like, juggling records and doubling up on them and doing fantastic gymnastics. And um, I like doing all that stuff, but I think my strong point is my transitions and how how, um, uh, linking two passages together that come from two different worlds or, uh, you know, two different records that are, you know, covers, and no one knew there was a cover of that song. So I scrapped the biggie idea and I did Gemini and I just gathered as many Gemini artists as I can, as I could at the time and uh, recorded it. And then everybody was like, dope. Now you got to do the next, now you got to do cancer. Now you got to do Leo. Now you got to, you know, and I was like, Whoa. And so I kind of fell into it. I was like, damn, you're right. I kind of do now. I can't just do my sign and be selfish. So I, wasted some time and i did a second gemini mix because because we're twins and we do everything in twos right <laughs> and that really threw me behind schedule and so i was late to that, whatever the next one was cancer or whatever i was i was late to the to the next sign and so i was playing catch up and and within the you know flash forward two years later um i was still doing them or i, I finished doing them i should say the two years worth which was 25 mixes and um it's hard to do something consistent, is what I came, what I learned out of it. <laughs> but um, yeah, I honored every sign, and you know, you know, if I'm in the month of, uh, you know, Pisces, uh, you know, I'll be honoring, you know, West Montgomery and Erica Badu and Common and Sean Price and Method Man right. and Torrey and you know, it, the list goes on and on, and Sly Stone. And so like, I, I just the, the hard work behind it became me researching everybody's birthday. And so it's like you're mixing everybody in the the right key, you're mixing everybody in the right tempo, and then you're mixing everybody in the correct Zodiac sign. And I think what kind of made it fun for me is when I – like there was one song where Alchemist and um, Prodigy are both Scorpios and they sampled someone who was a Scorpio. And I was like, dope. The producer's a Scorpio, the MC's a Scorpio, and who they they sampled was a Scorpio. So it was just – you know, like I like those kind of things. I can honor more birthdays at the end of the mix, you know, like boom happy birthday y'all y'all you know it's like that, that's my shit you know um, <laughs> right so yeah it just grew into this really nerdy thing and then um so i just wrapped it up and did a usb with all the mixes for sale and um did the song with method man has the exclusive track word
0: what did you uh, sort of learn about yourself uh, during that run of make of doing those zodiac tracks mixes
1: man yeah. It was crazy, man. Um, I went through two surgeries and I had to just like keep the boat rolling. You know, I had to, had to keep it, I had to keep it going. Um, there was like uh it was literally sink or swim because I couldn't stop and say, Hey, sorry, I have to stop a about there was just no excuses. And I guess it just, I learned that I have pretty thick skin and I can, I can persevere through an idea, you know, and, and see it through the end. Um, I've always known that about myself, but I didn't know I can do it for that long of a time. It's a lot of research Zodiac. Like people ask like, you know, how, how long does it take to do the mixes man? That must've taken a long time. The mixes weren't hard for me. It was the, um, the research of the birthdays, um, believe it or not the missing of the hip hop records. I would have the original sample, but a lot of the hip hop records I didn't own. So I would have to buy them for that month or (laughs) dig for them because, um, a lot of those records, like let's take like Most Def, like Black on Both Sides, like that was like in the heat of the Serato era, right, where everybody was moving to computers. So there was really no need to buy 12-inch copies of anything at that time. I was getting MP3s. right? But I had the original samples because I like to dig and I like to sample and I like to learn how people sampled and all that. So I would have the, the sample but not the hip-hop artist. So <laughs> that was that was the time-consuming part was filling in, believe it or not, the hip-hop. Um, songs and I thought that was gonna be the easiest part because <laughs> in my head I thought I had them, you know, because I have them as MP3. So I'm like, oh, I, I got all this stuff. I got tons of records, and then I go to look for. Them. I'm like, oh snap, that was when Serato hit. I don't even own that joint. That's crazy. Like, <laughs> it's amazing how many hip hop records I didn't own. Like, and in, in a lot of them, there's a lot of great records that came out when Serato hit. So right, yeah, it, it was just that was a, a a crazy thing for me. I was it hit me, it blindsided me.
0: Right, right, right. But um what kind of kid were you and when did you first start getting into music?
1: Yeah, uh well, I started playing drums really early like 7 years old like like just with a snare drum like I didn't have a set or anything like I would just like I was rhythmic. Um but my parents were like, "Ah, oh, this is a phase." I'm not sure. Flash forward a little bit, you know, 12 years old I get my first drum set and then I play in a band at school, you know, like the band class, jazz band kind of thing. And um, I met my best friend, Chris Cook, there, and his uncle was a DJ who would go back and forth to to uh, New York and collect records and, and DJ. And so, like, yeah, everything was musical for me as a kid, although my parents aren't musical. Um, but for whatever reason, I think maybe it was just the strength of hip hop, you know, how deep the culture was. Breakdancing was fun. and everything was kind of taboo in the culture like you know don't touch the record you'll fuck up the record and people are scratching you know. and <laughs> don't don't get your clo- don't get your clothes dirty we just got you these clothes you know it's the beginning of school year you're break dancing you're fucking your clothes up you know everything was just like opposite it was very um it it just stole the innocence out of me you know but it but in a great way like in a fun way like it was just you know even with rapping it was like, you know, watching rappers. So I'm like, damn, I'm used to watching people singing. I was like, what's this? Like everything was just opposite. And something about that intrigued me. I was always really terrible in math and logic and um, that kind of thing. So I was always really creative and watching how people just kind of push the boundaries and colored outside the lines it was just always intriguing to me, man. What was the first thing
0: that you did creatively that was like you did seriously? Like this is something mm-hmm. that I'm going to, that I'm going to really put a lot of thought and energy into and hopefully this is something that I, I could show people.
1: Wow. That's tough to say, man. Um, that's... Mm, I can show people. Um, yeah, it would probably have to be at that time where I, I met my best friend in, in, um, in junior high when I was about 12. Um, I joined that band class without any drum lessons. <laughs> but I was, I was practicing, so I was kind of self-taught. I had one drum lesson. And then I taught myself after that. I, we, we couldn't afford drum lessons. So I just taught myself and, and listened to a lot of uh, heavy rock records. So this was like um, pre my knowledge of heavy funk and Clyde Stubblefield and all that stuff. This was like what was around me at the time. I was listening to a lot of like Led Zeppelin and <clears throat> a lot of hard-hitting drums. I, I was told that those were the best drummers. And it wasn't until I met my friend Chris Cook that I realized that what ended up being my favorite drummers were, were the funk drummers. Yeah. And he kind of schooled, schooled me on all that. Um, but my first exhibit of something creative, to answer your question, was um, in that band class, there was always a winter uh, concert for all the kids to come and see in, in junior mm-hmm. high. So I had to be like in, um, see, this decided to be seventh grade. Yeah, seventh grade or something like that. And um, I was the drummer in the class. And then all of a sudden a new kid came in from another school and he was a drummer too. And so we we're trying to figure out how we can do two drummers and so we took turns playing drums on different songs for um, our concerts for the school, whatever. And then the teacher was like, Well, you know, we should do last year we had like a cool like drum solo. And then all the kids in the class, like, battling was very in back then. I mean, it's always in, right? Battling's always in. But, you know, but, uh, MC battling, you know, people were battling, breakdancing at the time. So the kids in the, in the class were like, you guys should battle each other on the drums. <laughs> and, I'll, and so, like, at that time, I was, like, the smallest kid in every one of my class. And the guy that I was battling was, like, the biggest guy I've ever seen in my life. He was, like, a truck. <laughs> so I battled uh, – this kid on drums in front of the entire school auditorium um, in front of the whole school for like the winter, you know, the winter concert. And it was like, I had this set where you could barely see me over the Tom Toms and he was like towering over his set, you know, like, and like, we went back and forth and battled out. So that'd be probably the first like creative display I've, I, I, uh, yeah, that I've, I've accomplished, I guess, or, yeah and and it was it was nerve-wracking and like my parents were in the audience and or my dad was in the audience and and um you know girls I had crushes on you know and you're going through puberty it was just crazy man like yeah it was like it 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 threw away my fear of performance and and uh let me know that I could like show something creatively all in one swipe I was just kind of thrown into cold water really quickly and so it, it i think it toughened me up later on as a musician and as a um, performing dj as well I, I i tend not to be scared of too many obstacles now <laughs> 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 after that experience <laughs> what was
0: uh what what was your uh, what did your classmates say about that after uh, you were done
1: oh man you fucking tore them up man you killed them <laughs> 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 I had my ma- my teachers and like, damn Mark, you really went in, man. Like, you know, uh, yeah. Yeah. It was cool actually. And then, you know, actually, you know, it's funny, man. It's I, I, so I had a, a, another really good friend who was an amazing visual artist. He could draw your face perfectly. Um, kid named Ben. And, uh, he lived a few blocks away from me and, uh, he would come to my house and listen to music, you know, after school or I would go to like his house and, and uh, watch him paint or, or, or check out his book and see what, you know, what kind of graphs he had or what kind of drawings he had. So we were kind of comparing different art. But um, we were in Spanish class together, and I, I hated Spanish class, you know, for whatever reason. And so, like, we were, t- we were taking a test, and um, he just passed me his paper for all the answers. And so I had his answers underneath my, my, um, my sheet of paper where I was just, like, moving it out and then writing the right answer. And so the teacher came out and caught me and i got you know busted for cheating on the test and um he was like he was like he's like how do you put it oh he, he goes he goes mark you know why did you do this i'm like I, you know i'm, I'm sorry I, I messed up I'm, i cheated and, he, and then he goes he goes, ben he goes i can see why mark's doing this but why did you do it like he put the blame on ben my, my the boy that <laughs> the, the, the answer's from Because he saw me In the concert And he saw me Do the drum battle And he was like An older You know uh, um, Like ja- he's uh, he's an older Black jazz musician Yeah That was teaching yeah. Spanish And so like He had appreciation For music <laughs> And I felt terrible For Ben And he was Ben was so pissed at me I was like he, Like he put more Of the blame on Ben Basically than me And I had his answers Like in In my hand And I'm like copying his shit Like it was like Literally on my desk So It was It was a uh, You know yeah, music is helped me get out of some pretty sticky situations, but (laughs) yeah, that was, that was kind of funny.
0: That was nice. nice, That was nice. When was the, do you remember the first time when you just realized that you could take this music thing seriously and it could be something that could, uh, you could be doing for a long time?
1: Yeah, actually it was a very pivotal moment. Um, I was working at, um, St. Joseph's hospital, um, and going to school at LACC studying to be an x-ray tech uh, as my backup to music or backup to the arts or whatever. Yeah. Um, I was always very much pushed by my parents or by my mother, really, to, to have a backup plan. Um, so I was studying to be an x-ray tech. And about four months uh, before I was supposed to graduate, I was in class, and I just couldn't stop thinking about the, the a track I was working on. And I was like, God, how do I make it? How do I, how do I mold this bridge? I was thinking about the bridge and thinking about very, I was in deep thought about this song and (laughs) how to make this beat work properly. And, um, I just got up and left the classroom and never went back. (laughs) Um, and my mom was pissed and my dad was, 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 was happy. He's always thought I should chase music. Um, And just kind of watch my progression my mom didn't get it um now she she sort of gets what i do (laughs) (laughs) but anyway i I, I walked out of class and um i started touring with Jurassic five and uh we got a gold record and i haven't stopped touring since and and that was 90 end of 95 or beginning of 96 i can't quite remember but yeah and it just it the train never stopped And, uh, I reflected on it about like three years after that, like when things got started getting really good for the group. And I was like, well, what's the lesson to be learned there? Like I was trying to think about what, what it really was. And, and it, for me, it was just like, you know, sometimes putting your eggs all in one basket really does, uh, manifest into something fruitful, you know? Um, it's not like that for everybody though. So I can't like, you can't take that philosophy and apply it to everybody listening right now, right? Like, it's right. it's just being at the right place at the right time, having, I guess, the know-how and the skill, being around the right people is essential. Um, yeah, you know, surrounding yourself with the right people, that's, that, was, that was a really, really big one, you know. Um, and the older I get, the, the more I reflect on, wow, I was around the right people and with like minds, and we all had the same vision. And, um, and hey, you can snap your fingers, and all of a sudden you don't have the same vision at all grow apart and everything too and that happens as well but at that time everything just kind of lined up man and it was a very scary leap for me um yeah. and uh yeah i took it
0: what were you doing when jurassic five first formed and why did this group form
1: um so i had just i, I was doing house parties as a dj that's uh, how i you know at 13 is when i really 12 or 13 is when I really started DJing in my bedroom, you know, trying to learn how to mix and had beat up servo turntables on belt drives and everything. (laughs) Then I met a group of guys named bum rush productions who I later formed with uh, or or became part of a crew member. And we would do all the house parties. And, um, at the end of that, I started doing like parties in Hollywood and parties in LA. And, uh, I met, um, Uh, Charlie Tuna, Cut Chemist, and Mark Seven at a rehearsal for a night called Rat Race. Um, Rat Race was live musicians who invited MCs up to perform, or just lyricists to come up and perform. And Unity Committee was one of those groups. And Unity Committee was half of Jurassic Five, which is Cut, Tuna, and Mark Seven, And the other half was another group called Rebels of Rhythm, which was Akil and Soup. Um, And when... I, I went to the rehearsal, you know, just to, with the band, and I was jamming with them, and I, I was hooking up a, a wah-wah pedal to uh, my turntables, going to get a, like a per, uh, um, like a guitar sound out of my cuts or whatever. Yeah. And, and Cut walked in at, after not meeting him. He was just like, whoa, DJ Hendrix, you know? <laughs> so we <laughs> hit it off right away. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, Cut and I got to talking a lot, and um, Cut made a beat and thought it would be cool to have Rebels a Rhythm on it, and then it was... Next thing you know, Drastic uh, Five was two groups formed as one plus me. And yeah, that's how it started.
0: You and, you and Cut Commons have these really like way out of the box thinking ways of DJing and making music. You know, what is it like working with him? You know, how do you guys just like kind of work together?
1: Um, well, our, our zodiac signs are compatible. That's number one. He's a Libra. I'm I'm a I'm a Gemini. <laughs> I, think, I think that helps. No, but you know I think um, we we have a good balance of uh, really focused work and then completely fucking off and, and talking shit and, and uh, <laughs> making jokes. And Cut has a, a a remarkable memory. Like his 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 mind works in a very mysterious way where he can remember any detail, any anybody's name, a record label, a year, like his mind works in a very strange way. So he incorporates that into his humor. And so I end up just on the floor rolling. (laughs) Um, And so that helps. And so what, what what I'm getting at is we have good breaks in between the um, creativity or we used to have really good breaks between the creativity where it's like really intense, like a good 45 minutes of just like bomb ideas and things being laid track that are Next level and groundbreaking, and then a nice hour of just talking shit, and fucking off, and dissing somebody or talking about how someone dissed the shit out of us. Remember that time that guy broke our record when we handed him our demo and like <laughs> shit like that? Like, you know, uh, like, like nothing's like out of bounds when it comes to humor. So it's just, it's just, it's a good, uh, it's healthy for the mind, I guess. You know, like our, our minds were were very like healthy during those periods. Like, okay, yeah, now let's get back to work, you know. And um, we would usually just eat at one place always, you know, and, and go to some uh, Thai place and then come back home and you know, or come back to either my studio or his studio and work feverishly through something. And then we would hit a brick wall and go, okay, fuck it, we're, it's not meant to be tonight. Let's, let's meet up again another day and may forget about it and may not even complete it. And but when we come back to it. Um, if there's a reason to come back to it, we come back to it and knock it out the park. When you look back, you know, what's
0: your fondest memories of those early years of Jurassic five, you know, when everything was starting to come together because, uh, the group would have a lot of success all around the world. Like you said, you're on Letterman, you know, what was the sort of, uh, you know, the, your fondest memories of those early years when everything was first starting to come together?
1: Um, huh. There's a lot. Um, it's hard to, hard to put it into like one. Um, as far as the early ones, I would say we had one really interesting show, and in, um, I want to say it was Sweden. Um, I forget the name of the festival, but it was uh, one of the very first festivals we've ever played. It might have been the first festival we played. Um, and we were missing Tuna. He was playing with Ozo Motley. So the rest of the group went out kind of, mm, you know, we were kind of unsure of how the performance was going to go. If anybody was going to come to see us, we had never been to Sweden. We, were, we weren't sure what to expect. And um, we were backstage uh, and the, uh, someone introduced us and we walked out. And we said, and, and one of the members, I forgot who said, Oh, or maybe it was soup. I think he said, Oh, we're on the wrong stage. Um, and our manager, Dan was like, no, no, no. He's like, no, we're on the wrong stage, stage, Dan, look at all these fucking people. Like it was like <laughs> something like 20,000 people out there. <laughs> and we caught it on camera. There's a photo of it and soups making a face like, Oh my God, they're here to see us. Like we had no idea. Like, um, yeah, we had no idea. You know the internet wasn't wasn't uh, popping then, and like, there was no way to gauge. Like we just knew that we got a decent offer at a festival, and we were showing up without tuna, and that show was crazy. Like encores and all kinds of crazy shit we had never experienced as a band. So yeah, I think that would probably be the most pivotal moment in our or, well, the most memorable moment for me yeah. you know, um, as far as fun, uh, unexpected. Uh, <laughs> Ad- ad- adoration, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> it's crazy.
0: What do? You, what was it about Jurassic Five that you uh, feel like resonated with the audience that uh, led to so
1: much success for the group? Um. Well, for a long time, we we, we, we felt like we never got it, um, especially here in the states. Uh, I, I think I think it was a thing where UK embraced us first, Right. and then. Um, you know, we had been shopping our demo for collectively and as separate entities, you know, myself with a guy named Brother Soul, Cut, Charlie, and Mark as Unity Committee, Rebels of Rhythm. Everybody had been shopping their own thing, and then we had shopped the single as well after we became Jurassic Vibe, and nothing was happening. So we did. We, I don't think the group ever felt what you're saying, to tell you the truth. Right. Um, I don't think we ever felt like we achieved um, like the stapled success, like, yeah, those, those, those are those dudes. I don't think we ever felt like, like, like we got there. And I think that helped because we were always kind of with our head down grinding and like, okay, how can we do a better show? How can we, how can we make people turn their heads from the main stage and come to the side stage while we're coming up? Or um, how can we hold down the main stage? Um, or how can we, you know, bend all of these samples together where it's cohesive, where the MC can come back and actually do a verse? Um, or like, you know, like there was always just it was always a kind of like deep thought, you know? Right. Um, and never really like, yo, we've we've murdered them. I, I, I can't remember like really any conversations. Now that I think about it, like we we're, we're, we were like on a plane or like in a dressing room or in the studio going, yo, we murdered them. Like, I can't think of one. Um, I can think of hundreds of times where we're like, damn, we fucked up on that part, man. Or, <laughs> <laughs> or God damn it. The fucking needle, you know, uh, bent or, um, you know, there was a time where we played, uh, Vans warp tour and, uh, people were throwing bottles at us, like raining, um it was raining bottles on us because they switched our time slot with Green Day like 5 minutes before Green Day was supposed to come on. Oh okay. It was just like, nothing but like, you know, you know, rockheads or like, This ain't Green Locker Day. What rock. the hell is this? <laughs> yeah, and it and it was deep. The crowd was very deep and it was just raining bottles on us like I someone threw a bottle of glass I'm talking about here. I'm not talking about plastic. Right. A, a, a bottle of um, half-orange crush, half-sand at my turntables, and it landed perfectly on the needle of the record that was playing. This was per- before Serato and Computers and all that shit. Yeah. And so it hit my needle to the song that the guys were rhyming over, and it, and it put the most gnarly gash on the record that was unusable for the rest of the tour. And I had an SP 1200 right next to it. Yeah. So without delay, I went right on the SP 1200 and kept the beat. MCs kept rhyming. I think Tuna had a a bottle or a plastic bottle thrown and hit his face, and he kept rhyming. Everybody just kept going, and I was just like playing this MP, I'm playing this uh, SP 1200 and looking at my group. I'm like, these motherfuckers want it. These guys really fucking want it. And uh, sure enough, like. Security threw one of the guys out. That threw some shit, and then the crowd kind of there was an energy shift in the in the in the crowd. It was an outdoor uh, Vans Warped Tour show, and the energy shifted into something, and it was like a science experiment. Like it was like all of a sudden they were kind of like, okay, this ain't bad. These guys are maybe okay. This ain't like the hip hop we think it is, or whatever the fuck was going through their minds. I stopped trying to read minds in my twenties, and then (laughs) uh, next thing I know, it's like. They were cheering for us, and we were like, "What the fuck is going on?" We were, we we're bugging out, and we got through it. I'm not gonna say we murdered it because we never say we murder it, and we got through it. And we we're like, "Okay, I guess we're cool. Are we gonna stay on this tour?" And promoter was like, "Yeah, you know, you are stay on this tour." And we did that. We did that run, and we also got in a bad bus accident after that. But um. Or maybe that was a different vans warp tour. I think we did two of them. I can't remember. Yeah. Yeah, so saw so one big blur. But um yeah, that, that was a wild one <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> what when what
0: what is it about the the live show for Jurassic Five that when that you could like turn around the crowd or even make that one person who's like skeptical at the beginning you know, digging your shit, uh, by the end, you know, what do you feel like, uh, the energy of the, uh, Jurassic 5 live show is like to where you can turn heads like that?
1: Uh, God, if I would have to put it in a concise way, I'd say teamwork, you know, there's nothing more exciting than watching like the Lakers, you know, dish a, a pass off and it's just bounce passes. someone at the perfect time and it's dunk. And it's like, you know, j Five's like that. Like, um, you know although people would gravitate towards a member or members the 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 way someone would dish something off to the next guy was like kind of unparalleled you know i'll I'll say that um, and i think the, it it resonated with the crowds like oh wait they're moving from from man to man like this and then wait there's two DJs why is there two like kind of like the two drummer thing i was talking about before like it's just right. it, it, none of it really makes sense but it does because it's um, cohesive and um that's half of our battle if not maybe 80 percent of the battle is trying to make everything cohesive and everybody get their part where it's meaningful and it, and it has some potency for the crowd so I, I'd, I'd say teamwork man okay these days you have the
0: uh the Zodiac Killer EP that uh, came out, you have the Zodiac tracks mixes uh, available now. What else are you working on? What you got in the works?
1: Yeah, um, I just finished a really dope project with uh, Slim Kid Trey from uh, Farside, or formerly a Farside, I should say. Um, this is our follow-up um, to our first album on Delicious Vinyl. This one's going to be on uh, my label, Hot Plate. It's called Trademark. And uh, Slim Kid Trey, DJ Newmark, Trademark, and uh it's coming out in february this year it's an ep really dope videos for it dope music um we're all really proud of it man um that's coming next and then um, a lot of touring and a lot of projects that i'm working on right now but i can't really talk about because there's nothing to talk about at the moment but that's the (laughs) next thing out the gate right that's the next thing out the gate um yeah yeah that's that's where i'm at brother and right. as far as the Zodiac track stuff, uh, like uh, the Method Man single is uh, for the vinyl heads. It's available at fatbeats.com. And um, I made a USB with all the mixes for sale uh, with all the credits and the Method Man single. And the USB is in the shape of uh, uh, a half a crate of records and a turntable playing the galaxy. <laughs> and uh, that's on my band camp. It's just DJ Newmark, N-U-M-A-R-K. Uh, N-U-M-A-R-K. And, right. Um, yeah that, that's awesome that's awesome when um and I like to um
0: ask this question to people that I have on this podcast it's um uh, what is what is a lesson you know a nugget of knowledge that um that you've learned over your life career that anybody listening to this podcast could sort of project into their own their own life or career and sort of as an actionable lesson
1: oh there's so many dude damn there's so many. It's just like a, well, you know, um, <laughs> try to find a, try to find that balance between um, confidence and uh, not having an ego, you know, uh, that's, 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 that's when it gets in a lot of my peers ways uh, myself too. It's, it's, it's gotten in my way too, um, but I have a decent check on it now. Um, I, I've never been a e- big ego kind of guy, but, there there comes a point where you work really hard on your trade. This is what I'm kind of getting at. You'll work really hard on your trade um, and people will tell you you're dope. And if you believe it a little bit too much, it can really get in the way of your next project or how you treat people. Um, And I bring this up because I, you know, just watching the way Methaman man has interacted on, on the television set with other um, with the crew, there's like 150 crew people, He knows everybody's name. He's shaking their hands in the morning before you hit set. He's making people laugh. He's being respectful, and he doesn't have to do any of that. He's right. arguably from the best rap group of all time, you know. You know for me, it's like Run DMC, Tribe, Wu Tang, right? If you had to really just, you know, I mean, these are pivotal groups, right? Right. So he doesn't have to be like that. And we've all met people that we've met, you know, uh, that are up there, and they're they're not like that, you know. They're 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 dicks, and so it's just cool to kind of. I think treating, treating people with respect and uh, dignity is, is is really, really important, especially in this climate right now. There's a lot going on politically, and um, I just feel like doing your best to be human right now is, is just, it's vital. It's vital. I think that that's probably the most important lesson. Um, there's going to be a lot of energy thrown at you. But personally, I don't read any interviews about me anymore. I don't, I I just, if they tell me I'm dope, I kind of don't believe it. They tell me I'm whack, I kind of don't believe it. I just go, okay, I just need to kind of get to my next project and do the best I can. I'm just, that's kind of the way I'm floating these days, you know. In my 20s, I'd read everything. Oh my God, we only got three and a half stars. Oh my God. You know, everything was like, (laughs) oh, we only sold 70,000 units in the first week. Now that's like amazing. Now, back then it was like, oh my God, we should have sold more. You know, everything is like, you take everything to heart and, you know, it's hard not to take things to heart being a creative person because you have to open your soul right. to energy, you know? And so when you open up too much, you know, there's a lot come in that can um, poison you. So you just got to be kind of careful and balance, I guess, is really what I'm saying here, right? Just balance.
0: Right, right. And before we get out of here, where can people go online to get more information about you?
1: Yeah, well, I have my website, djnewmark.com. Uh, um, that's with a hyphen, uh, B-J-N-U hyphen, M-A-R-K. Um, and as far as purchases, the band camp, same thing, DJ Newmark at Bandcamp. Um, yeah. And I'm always active on Instagram. I love it. And Facebook as well. And all that stuff. I'm always posting stuff and I like talking and interacting the most, as much as I can. Um, that doesn't take away from, uh, creating and making music, but, uh, yeah, man. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. It's been great talking with you, man.
0: And, uh, good luck with you everything.
1: Too. Thank you, man. Thank you. It's been a pleasure talking to you. I appreciate you having me. So
0: that was my interview with DJ Newmark. All the links to where you can buy the Zodiac Killer 7-inch vinyl, the Zodiac Killer Digital, and the Zodiac Tracks Limited Edition USB are on the show notes for this episode at freshatthepodcast.com, along with all the links to DJ Newmark's website and all of his social media. So that's another episode in the books. Thank you for listening. Now this will definitely be the last episode of 2018. I said this last week, but this is definitely the last episode. So we'll see you again in 2019. Thanks for listening. Goodbye and good night. Fresh is the word.